Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. WTIC, it's so remarkable, the, the place we're in. Kathy Flaherty, the guest we just had on, I really have a ton of respect for her, even though we don't agree politically, but, but then I feel like everything she says supports my political stance, so it's not a bad, it's not a bad deal. When you think of how things go, trying to cooperate, liberals and people who believe in the American system of government, the two polarities, or progressives. I assume Kathy's a progressive, but I don't really know. I haven't fleshed out her viewpoints. But she's resistant to my characterization of government, I think, simply because she hasn't looked at it closely enough and thought about it from 30,000 feet. She just thought about it as inside a government. Well, I've got to work harder to get people to be treated humanely. And uh, people get mad that I like to have people of uh, different opinions on the air, but I feel like that's how we come to understand these things better. Isn't that fascinating? This woman has been working her whole life since college when she had mental health problems and got forcibly admitted, and then they wouldn't let her out. And she's been working her whole life to try to straighten the system out and make it better. And she's so, that made her a believer in the system, ironically. I just look at the system driving us into bankruptcy, as it has, $150 billion or so of debt on the state level, $31 trillion, the greatest wealth creation in the history of mankind, dismantled by those who claim they love us as they have taken us from the free system that made us great into an oppressive bureaucratic state that that just burns money in the boiler every day so that they can avoid burning fossil fuels that's how they keep the engine of of government going they just burn money and they come back each year and keep raising taxes on you and they make up all kinds of stupid stories silly stories about why they're doing it and then they tell stories about how wonderful it is that they can work together in hartford oh isn't it great the republicans don't provide any opposition we should be so proud well that's nonsense there should be fighting over the fact that we've been bankrupted we shouldn't have people going along with being bankrupted do you think 860-522-9842 It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh, yeah. So there's an appalling story in the Hartford Current today uh, about how the legislature, the Republicans and Democrats are so proud of themselves that they they get along. Oh, we can't have any infighting here. Now, I'm not sure about the Freedom Caucus and how this is all going to work out in Washington. But I also don't believe that there should never be any tugs of war. There, there, when we have government that is destroying us financially, which is what's going on in, in Connecticut and in Washington, both. And they don't, they, it doesn't get talked about. You know, there's an occasional mention, $31 trillion. They tell us when, uh, when they reach new numbers, you know, new, new heights of of bankruptcy for us but they they don't in general 
talk about there aren't arguments being made on a regular basis about how horrible it is for us as a country and how irretrievable at some point our stature as a nation will become because of this debt, especially now that interest rates are going up and, and that means the cost of the debt will become something that we actually have to look at and say we are being deprived of the government we deserve, which is a permanent condition, I know, but this would be a new way of it happening. Anyway, listen to this story. No, hang on from this story. Let me play you a fuller version. I teased uh, this sound from Good Morning America. George Stephanopoulos talking with uh, John Carl, the White House reporter. Listen to this naive to the point of stupidity. Look at the way John Carl looks at what's going on in Washington today. He's appalled by the idea, as George Stephanopoulos is, very savvy guy. But they're, they're acting like it matters that the, there's, for a few days there is not a speaker. Listen. He is, as long as he sits and waits this out, uh, he, he's in this. Uh, but again, nobody on the Republican side has the votes to be elected speaker he, right he, now. He can sit there all day and wait it out. Meantime, there is functionally no House of Representatives in the United States right now. Are you shaking in your boots over this? Please give me a call and tell me how you're going to get through the day when there is no, functionally no, House of Representatives in the United States of America. States right now. I mean, it's extraordinary to think about oh, this. Oh, John, it's so extraordinary. Extraordinary to think about this. And this is something I, I, I don't think that most uh, Americans have ever really been aware of. The, 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 the election of a, of a Speaker of the House is, is relatively pro forma. It's often the easiest vote. Well, it's been pro forma, and maybe that's the problem that we have in America is that even those in positions of power give in to those more powerful than they are. They're just so impressed with power because the power of Washington is so big and mighty. The, the, the election of a, of a Speaker of the House is, is relatively pro forma. It's often the easiest vote that, that a Speaker will have. But until that happens, nothing happens. Nothing happens like what? What, can, what earth-shattering thing would be happening? If only we had a Speaker of the House, which we haven't had in in 72 hours. I mean, these members are not even sworn in yet. The committees are not formed. Uh, they're not going to be paid. Uh, th th this is an extraordinary dysfunction, unlike, unlike any I've seen on, on Capitol Hill. Well, unlike any I've ever seen on uh, Capitol Hill. Well, that makes me feel better about it, remarkably. I'm not being facetious either. Having Jonathan Carl from ABC News so appalled at the idea that we go a few days without a Speaker of the House and that people aren't just laying down and dying for the decreed, the ordained transfer of power to the insider who even people in Congress find too slimy to support. It's totally, these people are so bizarre. Let's talk to Everett in East Hartford. I always like hearing from you, Everett. What's going on? Hello. Thank you for taking my call. I think it's wonderful we're not spending any money because the Congress is the purse, so they can't spend any money. They thing until that money is released. So Yeah, but I think, I think they've kind of rigged it so 
no matter what happens, they spend the money? But I hear you. Don't want any interruptions? You know, it's like when you run a business. You know, yes. sometimes it takes ninety days to get paid for your vendors. So yes. if there's an interruption in that flow, it's going to hit you. So they're they're only worried about their money. They don't really care about the American public. Yes, it's a, it's that. absolutely about the machinery of power. We are the servants of their needs, not the way it's supposed to be. Right, they're trying to work their deals so you know people get on their committees, and if this guy gets elected Speaker of the House as opposed to the other person being elected, and yeah, it's typical politics. There you go. All right, anything else, Everett? Uh, happy New Year and uh, great show. Same to you, sir. Thank you so much. Wayne in Meriden next on WTIC. What's up, Wayne? Hey, uh, Todd, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. You know what? You know who I think would make a good Speaker of the House would be Joe Courtney from our 2nd Congressional District from Connecticut. He is so low-key, and he does a lot for the 2nd District, more than our other reps from Connecticut do. I mean, John Larson, forget about him. Um, Johanna Hayes, empty head. Rosa DeLauro, whack job. But I think that... Uh, Ed Courtney would, Joe Courtney would do a very good job. He does a lot for the second district and he's not out there blowing his own trumpet all the time. So I think he should be considered for Speaker of the House because I think he would do a good job and he would make us proud in Connecticut. So that's my take and that's all I need to say. Well, Thank all you. right, Wayne. Thank you for saying it. Appreciate hearing from you. 860522. Do you know the rest? 9842. And the rant line number 860-751-4698. Rants are coming up in uh, about 45 minutes. So the um, what Wayne just said, a lot of people don't understand this, so let me clarify. The Republicans are in charge of the House, and that's what this little turmoil is about right now, that McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy has been the... Um, the minority leader, that is, he is the head of, he is the highest ranking, no, he is the elected leader of the Republicans in Congress. He has been. But now that they're taking control, that they have taken control of Congress, that Republicans have the majority in Congress, Nancy Pelosi has left the speakership, and she's just a regular member of Congress. She isn't even the minority leader of the Democrats now that they're in the minority. So... Joe Courtney, even if for some reason, even if there were some reason to think that a Democrat, big government, big spender guy who's spent um, half a millennia in, in Congress, even if he would be a good speaker for some reason, he's not eligible, really, because uh, because he's a Democrat and Republicans control the chamber. So in a couple of years, if the Republicans make a mess of this, as they may do, and Democrats win Congress back and reelect Joe Biden, there is a lot at stake here. If that happens, then, um, you know, Joe Courtney could, but usually the minority leader would be the most likely person to, uh, to take over the speakership for the Democrats if they get control back. Stanley's calling from East Windsor. Hello, Stanley. Hello. 
uh, Joe Courtney. I mean, he's a nice guy. I know, I know him, but no way. I mean, how how can anybody not do a good job in that, his district with all the federal money coming in for the defense for program? the contracts? Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean, that well, that could be vacant. And, and, exactly. And, uh, yes. Everything would go smoothly. Yeah, it would go more smoothly, I suspect. And and um, because none of these people stand up and fight for anything to be better, they never demand that spending not be so wasteful, that costs of living not be so high. We are being destroyed by our government. Exactly. They, so I mean, getting back to Courtney, though, or anyone in that chair in that seat for that congressional seat, how can they not do a good job? in the eyes of the voter in that district. Well, uh, only if somebody were to point out the obvious, that the but state... They're not, the level of intellect ain't there yet for the masses. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, that's because they're not all listening to WTIC, which would have them in nah, much that's better not shape. not it either. You know, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stanley, for the call. Nice to hear from you. I do think that um, it is important to have these conversations and to... to state things as they appear to me and appear to others here on the station. It's good to have these voices heard, and they need to be heard. These alternative opinions need to be heard more loudly because that's what causes people to be in the thrall of people uh, like Joe Courtney. I mean, who cares about existing congressmen in a state that is structurally bankrupt representing us in a federal government which is structurally bankrupt? Why would we be, why would we fall for anybody who's there? 860 Chuck's in Enfield next. Hey, Chuck. Hey, Todd. How you doing? Oh, What's I know up? you hate that. Hi, Todd. Try to do it like Gladys. Joe Courtney, he's my representative here in the 2nd District. I live in Enfield. He, he, all, he, all he cares about is what happens in New London. He doesn't ever do anything for us up here. He's even got an office in the, the Smith's dairy area over there, and the dude is never in it. He is useless as far as Enfield's concerned. No, he would make a lousy speaker. And what would you like to see a congressman doing for you? Actually, the way they are doing it, as little as possible. Not having them in to spend money and to drive, you know, to spend my great-grandchildren's inheritance is just a really good thing. I mean, the... The less they do, I think the better off we are. You're talking about currently the fight going on in, that, that has them stagnated in Washington. Exactly. You like that? It's, you know what? It's a good thing. Um, it, it goes to show that the Republicans are just as bad as the Democrats. Is you've, got the, um, you've got a few Republicans that do a want to do a great deal for the American people. And you've got Democrats that don't really care about the people. They're more interested in their party surviving. So our our politics are just, I don't know. I don't know what to say, Todd. They're, they're, they're shot. They are right now. They're a runaway train. It's, it uh, is a complete runaway train. And it's yeah. like there's, um, there's a few Republicans that I really do think care about the American people, but I think the vast majority of them, including who they're trying to put in for the Speaker of the House, is part of the issue. Even, even like I voted for Trump. I voted for Trump twice. But President Trump has become part of the problem. I mean, there's, um, I've never seen so much, so much hatred for an individual. It's not, 
It's not that they like them or dislike them. They just hate them. And, and it, it's just not right. It's, I can understand disliking something. Well, then why are you saying he's become part of the problem? Because the thing is, is that if, if people can't, even, even, even years ago under, um, um, let's say, like uh, uh, the Kennedys, um, you know, did I, did I like everything that, um, um, oh, man, I'm having a brain fart. Um, Jack Kennedy? Yes, that he did. No, of course not. But he wouldn't even be accepted by the Democratic Party today because he's so conservative. I mean, he's even got the uh, the the first serial number, the AR-15, was given to him as a gift from Cole. You don't see pictures of that out. I mean, he was a supporter of the Second Amendment. Well, and, that's what Dem- Democrats were a whole different party then. So okay, I'm not exactly. And they talk about party switch and stuff. There's no party switch. The parties have gone to crap. They're more interested in, the party is more interested in itself and taking care of the people. Chuck, thank you for the call. Good to talk with you. 860-522-9842. Jack Kennedy wouldn't believe today what he believed then, if he was a Democrat today. He would have been weaned on a whole different set of values, and he would represent those values, or or he'd be a Republican, I guess, or something else. Who knows? But there is no resemblance, it's true, between the Democrats today and Jack Kenney. Jack Kenney was fighting the communists back then, but they were overseas, not domestic. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Yeah, Thursday. These weeks fly by, don't they? And it's kind of bad, you know, how fast the time goes by because we don't have enough time to notice what doesn't get reported about what's going on that's appalling. Listen to Jolly Ned's inaugural address yesterday. All right, everybody together. Let's show how much we can get done by working together, demonstrating how our differences is what brings us together, not tears us apart. This is somebody's theme who was hired to write this speech or, you know, who works in Ned's office, who wrote this speech that he delivered yesterday. It's always interesting hearing Ned deliver a speech that that he's got no emotional investment in. It's just a strategy that somebody in his organization uh, thought up and he delivers it with um, you. It's visceral, his lack of connection to the material. But the theme of it is about how wonderful things are when we work together. And that's a marketing campaign to diminish Republicans, especially like the Republicans, the leadership in the Republican Party in the legislature, which is going along, talking about how wonderful they are in Hartford because, uh, they, well, I don't know what the reason is they're wonderful. This is uh, what Vinnie Candelora said. When we have, he's a Republican leader in the um in the leg- in the the house when we have seen politics go in the wrong direction this speaker met the moment at the perfect point in time to make sure the connect that Connecticut remains an institution of deliberation of collaboration of debate Candelora said that's a Republican talking about the Democratic speaker of the house And that's all part of this scam that Ned was doing. So you've got the Republicans cooperating with a theme 
that the governor's consultants and the governor are rolling out as part of his inauguration speech, which is the marketing campaign of the government, Republicans included, to con us into thinking we can look at Washington and laugh about their dysfunction. But everything's wonderful here. Because when the people of Connecticut get robbed blind, and when you can't afford to live here anymore, and when the government's tens of billions of dollars in debt and it's getting worse as time goes on when that's the situation they all pretend it's fine and wonderful and let's just laugh at those people in washington who can't make it all work all right so four years ago the elephant in the room was quote a permanent fiscal crisis remember that at the time okay i got a little riled up but i said let's fix the damn budget once and for all See, when they switch over to the budget, that's the lie. The budget is the short term, how we're going to make ends meet this year. So obviously, when daddy sends you $6 billion from Washington and you've got that money in the bank, well, things look pretty good. And you can pretend the budget is what matters rather than the structural debt, the long-term mortgage that you have to pay that is tens of billions of dollars. And that's why you have to pay such high taxes here. 860-522-9842, the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. Mark Christopher, what's happening, sir? WTIC, where are you right now? What are you doing? Well, it's a special moment because Len Susio is here. Leonardo Susio, former state senator. Hello, Len. Hey, Todd. It's great to be back. Happy New Year to you. I'm glad to hear you on the, on the airwaves once again. Uh, we missed you for almost two weeks. All right, all right. Stop the sweet talking. <laughs> Let's get down to business. You are, you know, you, when you were in the state Senate, you were one of the great clarifiers of all the shenanigans going on. And, and I've been talking today. I was kind of appalled by the story in the current about what went on in the legislature and yesterday and how they were. The, the Republicans were the leadership in the Republican Party was talking about what a wonderful job the Democrats have done with the budget and all that. And it's, it's just grotesque to to hear the people who are supposed to be the opposition talking like everything is hunky-dory. Yes, yeah. Uh, it, well, you know, one thing for sure, most of the legislators up there at the Capitol, be they in the Senate or in the House, don't know what's in the budget. They don't really understand what's in the budget. Uh, there's a couple of people, even the leadership uh you know, when you start talking about a, a $20 billion plus per year budget that goes on for hundreds of pages, only the bureaucrats really know all the gory details of what's inside it. And you and I both know that the Connecticut budget was profoundly impacted by the largesse of the federal government and specifically the Biden administration, which dumped billions of dollars into the state, uh, basically forestalling what was uh, going to be a financial crisis in the state, I would have said it would have happened last year were it not for all the billions of dollars, again, that came in from the federal government, courtesy of uh, Joe Biden and the COVID crisis, in quotes, basically. So that that saved the state from an immediate financial crisis. But the long-term trend was very, very clear. This, as you pointed out, you used the term structural imbalance. And that is perfectly appropriate for what's going on in Connecticut. Uh, you can have things that happen incidentally uh, that affect the budget up or down, but they're temporary. 
and the, the money from the federal government is temporary. It's not going to be there at, on the scale that it was made available in these last two years uh, because of the COVID crisis. That's going to go away. And then we're going to be confronting the same structural uh, problems that we've had that existed before. So it seems uh, to me, Len, that anytime they're talking about the budget, that mm-hmm. they're they're deking us, that the, the problem with the state is not the budget. The problem is the debt. Well, the debt is definitely a big part of it. And if you include in debt, you're talking about the retirement benefits and everything else that are yeah. a form of debt, basically. Yes. I mean, can I get And the bonding the and all the, the yeah. just spending of money yeah. like it's monopoly money. And then yeah. they want to focus on whether they are going to have enough revenues this year to pay the bills that they've committed to running up this year. But what do we care about whether they can pay the bills or not? We prefer that they can't yeah. pay the bills. But but I, over the long term, they're committing to more money of debt, and the debt is already obliterating mm-hmm. the state's ability to function. Well, there's so many specific, concrete examples you could go over to illustrate the principles that you're laying out for your audience. One egregious example comes to my mind uh, of out of control state spending. When I was in the legislature, I was on the finance revenue and bonding committee, and we I was on the subcommittee uh, uh, basically for uh, where the, the state agencies had to come before the committee and present their request for borrowing money. And I remember in particular, the commissioner for the Department of Housing came in front of us and was asking for something like a couple hundred million dollars of, of bonded debt. And to support that request, she uh, provided a schedule of all these affordable housing projects that were going to be paid for with this bonded debt. Well, I started looking down that list and my eyeballs popped out when I when I saw the numbers that were involved because they were egregiously uh, expensive per unit of housing. So I, I asked the uh, the commissioner, I said, so tell me, commissioner, for uh, what's the average cost of uh, of uh, an apartment unit uh, that's uh, affordable housing subsidized by the taxpayers in Connecticut? And without hesitating, she said a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> and then she added to it, and sometimes more. <laughs> You're talking about the the average cost of creation of affordable housing. That's right. Of, per of, unit. Of a unit of affordable so housing. So there, yeah. d- no, no, I no. recall you talking about this uh, building that maybe had six units in it or so. Uh, ten units, four and a half million dollars. Ten units, four hundred fifty thousand dollars a unit. It was renting out for one hundred fifteen dollars a month. So that's uh, unaffordable housing. That's right. It's unaffordable to the taxpayers. That's for sure. Now. And, and the point I'm making, too, is it's not only harmful to the taxpayers and extravagant beyond belief, uh, but it's also harmful to the people who need housing to be subsidized. Why? Well, if you're going to spend that much money per unit, you can only do so many units. You're not going to you can't do as many as if you're. Pot, yeah. So the, uh, those 10, 000. those 10 families who got housing for one hundred dollars a month or whatever, the, that money should have been at least doing another 10 units oh so t- todd i would say more like uh, another uh, 40 or 50 i mean you, all right what's reasonable a hundred thousand dollars per unit let's say so they spent four hundred fifty thousand dollars per unit so that means four times as many to five times as many units should have been paid for mm-hmm. with that money 
So even the poor, ironically, get shortchanged on this kind of deal. The only people that benefit are the politicians and the real estate developers who get paid all this money, basically. Well, somebody else must benefit because the politicians who control those purse strings, who control the debt that's being run up, they must be ingratiating themselves with those special interests that you're describing and making their own careers succeed off of the squandered money that is spent on those housing units. Sure. Take a look at who contributed to whose campaigns, particularly at the statewide level where, you know, millions of dollars are needed, not the, the local level necessarily where it's just a few thousand bucks, basically. You take a look at look at, you know, Governor Malloy, when he was elected back to the first term, he got uh, huge contributions from whom the, the uh, people who were running the electric utilities. Because the Eversource, well, it wasn't Eversource at that point in time, it was CLMP. They wanted to be combined with uh, Eversource into this gigantic utility. So, but, but that isn't necessarily an indictment of Malloy, is it? It's just an anticipor- anticipatory investment that the utility is making in the future governor so that they can, they can have him lubricated sufficiently. Well, I would call it an indictment of Malloy. I can't blame the, the if, if the people that run the utilities see that it's to the advantage of the utilities to fund the campaign of certain politicians. They're not doing it just out of the goodness of their hearts. They're expecting something in return. And that indicated to me that Malloy signaled that he was willing to approve the deal. And guess what? It did happen. It was oh, approved under the so, Malloy administration. So you're anticipating so, and, that there were conversations taking place that – allowed them to feel comfortable with Malloy as governor, and that's why they invested so heavily in his campaign. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, things are said in certain ways that a wink of the eye, you know, we know what the real game is here. People know what's going on. When you start donating not $100, but tens of thousands of dollars to the campaign of a politician, uh, I don't think most people are not doing that out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it for some self-interest, basically. Well, everybody is doing it for self-interest. Yeah. And it was bundled, by the way. It wasn't just one executive from the utilities. It was a bunch of them that were giving money to the Malloy campaign at that point in time. And, you know, it was to the detriment of Connecticut uh, utility consumers because Eversource, in my opinion, is is a disaster. It's it's a it's a huge utility that lost its local flavor that was here under Northeast Utilities and CLP. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying they were perfect either. But, but why do we care wrong. about flavor, Len Susia? What's the flavor got to do with it? Well, uh, when you want people who. Are, have a vested interest in the consuming public who live here, who have worked here all their lives. It's the same thing, by the way, in terms of banking. Com- uh, ba- community banks are much better at serving the needs of the local community because the bankers themselves and everyone who works at the bank live in the community. They've got neighbors in the community. They so, are you saying that when governments are so when governments approve mergers and the you know the, it, it seems like a, a constant flow upward into smaller um, from smaller num- to big, yeah. well, yeah. smaller because- numbers of operators is so, so yeah. yeah, much bigger operators. And that doesn't serve anyone's interest except for the politicians who are approving those deals. Well, you know, it, it, they, the, whether it be banks or the utilities, the bigger they get, uh, the more powerful they get. And so, and the more profitable they get. So there's a vested interest from that point of view. And so the they can throw bigger parties with bigger buffets. 
Yeah. Well, look at. I mean, there was a story. It was Kevin Rennie or, or somebody in current uh, about how uh, Lamont had a, had a reception and it was fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the daily eruptions. It was yeah, dollars yeah. $50, uh, Lamont was looking yeah. for from the companies that do business with the state that are regulated mm-hmm. by the state to uh, invest in his uh, inaugural and one little yeah. write up from from Kevin Rennie in the current and they got rid of that top class of 50 grand <laughs> and went down to the 25 being the biggest one you know it's yeah. so it takes so little to make them turn and run and yet there's so little media like that that shines a light yeah i mean look at it the guy who uh, was running eversource a year ago he was making 19 million dollars a year <laughs> that's more than most a lot of people make in their lifetime 19 million dollars a year tell me how much is that's like what three hundred fifty thousand dollars a week I was like, you got to be kidding me. You're talking oh, about hey, the CEO so, of Eversource? Yeah, at the time. Uh, and, I don't know what the new Eversource and, CEO is. And that's a highly that, but... regulated company. Like the most regulated oh, yeah. companies there are are public utilities. And yes. the governor, by the way, just happens to appoint, I think, everybody on the Pura panel. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he no. The, he appoints one, and then the legislature, the Democrats in the legislature, and the Republicans in the legislature each point one. So there's three uh, commissioners basically. He he appointed the chair. The and then and the, the Democrats is the party of the governor, so that means the Democrats right. get two. So the governor, the as yeah. the regulator in chief, he gets to basically say what the rules of the uh, of operation oh, for yeah. resource are going to be. Yep. Uh, you got that right. And, you know, uh, boy, I know we're running out of time, so I, I would love to get into the uh, electricity rates, which are gone, are now absolutely through the roof. And uh, your your listening audience is going to feel it really viscerally in another few weeks. Well, wait a sec. Ned on. said it's it's less than a 50 percent uh, rate hike for the average person in the state. So, you know, there's nothing to worry about. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, Eversource. Their rate right now, their rate, including generation and delivery charges, had been about 24 cents per kilowatt hour. It's now going to go to 36 cents per kilowatt hour, all on the generation side. So 12 cents on top of 24 cents, that to me is a 50% increase, uh, you know, 12 divided by 24. Yeah, well, that's what the governor said. Nothing to worry about. It's only about 50%. Yeah, well, the governor doesn't know how to add numbers. Basically, he was born with a with a platinum spoon in his mouth. And, you you know, we saw good examples of that early in his first term when he was cavalier about the tolls and, and how they were going to benefit people of Connecticut. And when in reality, they were going to be devastating to the people of Connecticut. Uh, he, he doesn't know how to add up the numbers. I did a, a FOIA request when he made certain claims about the tolls, and uh, I was finally told by they the They were made up numbers. That's right? right. They didn't have the numbers. <laughs> so uh, he just threw out the numbers, you know, and that was it. Anything, and unfortunately, the the, uh, the press by and large uh, with a few Goes along with the whole just, thing, yeah. Yeah. So, so what is it. there that we don't know about the um, the cost of energy in the state and how much worse it's going to get and why well um, number one i'm going to say this the single biggest reason why Connecticut electric consumers pay the highest electricity rates in the continental united states is because of the political policies emanating from hartford there's all these extra costs that are added on to the electric bills that are just political policies that have nothing to do with the cost of 
uh, electric generation or transmission. They're added on. And if anyone doubts that, take a look. And you've heard me say this, Todd. You know what I'm about to say. Take a look at the Wallingford Electric Division, yep. uh, which until this year, it was 12, 12, between 12 and 13 cents per kilowatt hour of generation and delivery costs total, and Eversource was charging 24 cents per kilowatt hour. Almost and you're double. saying that you're saying that the state uses the utility bill of Eversource and other utilities as a piggy bank, so that they don't have to raise taxes; they can just put costs into new new expenses that consumers have to pay into the Eversource bill. And if you compare the Eversource bill with the Wallingford bill, for example, where they generate their own, where they buy their own electricity and distribute it themselves, there there's no comparison because they're putting all these things onto the Eversource bill to to raise taxes effectively on the average taxpayer in the state, right? Yes, I'm going to say three things succinctly, and I know you appreciate that, Todd. Yeah, we've got 30 three, seconds. Three reasons why the Eversource bill is much higher than, like, Wallingford Electric. One is they have all these politically mandated extra charges, which Wallingford Electric doesn't. Okay, number, number two. two Number two is they're mandated to purchase a huge amount of the uh, energy they're they're selling uh, as green energy. So mm -hmm. that's much Which more drives up the cost, a, right? Okay. And, number and the third three, thing is they're, they're allowed to make an excessive obscene profit on it, where Wallingford Electric doesn't make that obscene profit. So those are the three big reasons why, and it's all all related to politics. All the friends of Jolly Ned need to make excessive obscene profits. It's only right. And, and you know you what? Second to you attended the inaugural ball and, and the reception and who paid that $25,000. That would be interesting. Oh, Len Suzio, you were great today. You should take the next three weeks off. <laughs> Every year. We'll have a once-a-year interview, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Len Suzio, former state senator. Great to talk with you once again. We've got rants coming up. We've got uh, Reese will be here during the last half hour of the next hour. And right now.